Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to this week's episode of The Quarterdeck. This week, we're going to continue with our reading of our book with the 1st Marine Division in Iraq of 2003, No Greater Friend, No Worst Enemy, and we're going to take a look at the tempo of the logistics now that the division is moving towards Baghdad. In our hero highlights this week, we're going to take a look at the story of Sergeant Robert Allen Owens, United States Marine Corps. Drop and give me 25. I'm the gunny. It's it's time for the gunny. It's time. It's time. The quarter deck. Lights, lights, lights. Get online right now. You got 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Hello, my bunch of knuckle-dragging, beer-drinking, hard-charging devil dogs. You're listening to The Quarter Deck. I am your host, Miguel, the Gunny Signs. Get off the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the United States. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Ever since I can remember, way before I even retired from the Marine Corps back in 2015, there's always been some kind of upgrades, updates in advance with the technology and the way that everything is moving with digital stuff all over the world. Now, I can remember that when I came back from the Drawfold in 2007, so many of our weapon systems to include the M777, the howitzer system that replaced the M198, which I was so used to, depended so much on GPS coordinates and everything else where it was at. So it depended a lot on satellites to allow it to be in place and to be able to localize the targets and everything that were out there. Compared to when I left, everything was done manually. We had to actually know our direction through a map, understand where we were in order to be able to aim our weapon system in the direction that it needed to go for us to be able to engage our enemy. Now, every year, every decade, every whenever, there's always new weapon systems that come out that the Marine Corps includes in their arsenal for them to have. Now, if any of you know that the Marine Corps is probably the bastard child of all the armed forces that there are in the United States. For years, the Marine Corps has basically gotten the hand-me-downs of all the other armed forces. Uh, for example, you know, the Army has had a lot of weapon systems. They get the most recent and most current weapon systems that there are. And most of the time, the way it happens is that the Marine Corps then will get it from them. They'll buy them from them so the Marine Corps can use them. And sometimes we get weapon systems that are they're used or beat down and everything else, and then we have to make it work, which is no big deal because the Marine Corps always finds a way to ensure that things happen. But now... With everything that's been going on, the budget has been increased and so forth and everything throughout the years. And the Marine Corps has been able to have their own updated weapon systems that they have actually been made specifically for the Marines and for the missions that the Marine Corps is going to be tasked with to do. Now, with all technology and everything that has been developing in the last 10, 15, 20 years of things that have been developing... Drones are one of the big things that are being utilized now, not only by the United States. There's so many unmanned aircraft, the drones that are being used not only for engaging targets and all those things for surveillance, just the same way that the 1st Marine Division used them in Iraq back in 2003. 
they allow the people to be able to see things out on the battlefield without having to actually send troops in there to actually let them know exactly what's going on. Now, so it's not only the United States that has these now. There are many other people that have them and a lot of other countries that utilize them to be able to engage their enemy. In our case, it would be them using them against the United States. So the, the services continue to work and work and work in trying to provide new equipment and everything else that there is. Now, the Marine Corps used to have a weapon system that they had that would help with anti-aircraft to allow them to be able to engage those. But what the Marine Corps has been working on lately is that the Defense Department works a lot with units that actually do testing and everything else with weapon systems. Now, the training grounds is actually here in Yuma, Arizona, the Yuma Proving Grounds. It's an Army base, but that is where they do all the testing for all the artillery and so forth, weapons, rounds, new fuses, new charges, and everything with the weapon systems. They, can, they bring them out here, and they test them out here. So the Marine Corps it is now one step closer to being able to defeat unmanned aircraft systems that are out there that are going to be used by the enemy. Back in December, there was a program that was out here in order for them to utilize this. And what they did was they tested the Marine Air Defense Integrated System, or they call it MATIS, which is a low-rate initial production model that allows several large drones during a live fire test in Yuma to allow this new weapon system to actually be put into battlefield scenarios where it was able to detect, to track, to identify, and defeated unmanned aerial threats that were launched to see if the weapon system was working properly. Now, this system, Mattis, can actually complete an entire kill chain that was actually witnessed during the test event. And this was uh, a colonel, Colonel Andrew Connick, that basically said that it is a linchpin for mission success and our ability to neutralize airborne threats, which in turn increases our lethality. So as we can see, it's going to make the armed forces, not only the Marine Corps, it's going to make it more lethal to be able to defend against these threats, which are the drones now. And this system is a short-range surface-to-air system that basically it enables the low-altitude air defense battalions to be able to deter, neutralize unmanned aircraft system or any kind of fixed-wing rotary-wing aircraft that allow them to be able to defend against them. Now, the way this is, it is uh, placed or mounted aboard uh, a joint light tactical vehicle, and this is a, a system is basically put out there in pairs. It includes multiple uh, desperate systems, including a radar system, surface-to-air missiles, and command and control elements. So basically, if you think about it in layman terms, what does it do? It detects and attacks. So one is going to detect the things, and one, the other one's going to engage the enemy as it comes down there. So in the long run, these drones are going to continue to be a threat. Okay, especially with the, the emergence of easily accessible commercial off-the-shelf products or like the DJI drones and stuff like that. Those are being able to be purchased by people everywhere throughout the world. And of course, terrorists and all that stuff take advantage of these things and they are actually using them to their advantage as well. Not only for spying and 
gathering information, but they can they can put explosives on these things and utilize them against our forces out there. Now, one of the main other things that he also said, that commander, he stated that the importance of counting UAS threats cannot be overstated. This is what Koniki said. We see it all over the news. Mattis is the key. We're excited to get this out to our Marines. So that's a good thing because they're eager to get him out there. And I'm pretty sure that the Marines are going to be eager to actually learn how to use this weapon system because, hey, just like me, it's a new toy. It's a new toy for us to be able to use. So some of the things that they did during the test out here was that they had Mattis successfully track and hit multiple targets using the Stinger missiles and the 30 millimeter cannon that is able to be utilized with this weapon system. So you can see it has a lot of firepower and all this information was passed through the common aviation command and control system to the fighting pair of vehicles, which allowed them to be able to execute these missions to be able to use and engage those UAV targets for them to be able to set. Now, Konoki also said, we've taken multiple desperate commercial on the shelf and government off the shelf technologies and put them together. This is a capability the Marine Corps has never had, and it was a challenging for the acquisition community. This test event shows we met the challenge. So they took all these off-the-shelf drones, they took military drones that they had, and they put it to the test of this weapon system, and it was successful. It was able to be able to go out there and engage these drones and get them out of the air to allow them not to be a threat to the units that were down there on the ground. So again, that's a true, true accomplishment. And just like this weapon system that's going to be out there now, you know, and it's no secret that they do testing on things like this and that they have them out there. So this is just going to make our forces even stronger with greater firepower and allow our Marines to continue to be safe and be more successful in being able to come home back to their families once they're done accomplishing the mission. Are you looking for a photographer who can capture the most important moments in your life? Look no further than Miguel Signs Photography. Miguel Signs is an award-winning photographer with a passion for capturing the beauty and emotions of weddings, family portraits, and special events. With years of experience and a creative eye, Miguel Signs will create stunning images that you'll treasure for years to come. Whether you're looking for a traditional wedding album, a unique family portrait, or a professional headshot for your business, Miguel Signs Photography has the expertise to bring your vision to life. From the initial consultation to the final product, Miguel Signs will work with you every step of the way to ensure that your images reflect your unique style and personality. Don't settle for mediocre photographs that simply document an event. Trust Miguel Signs Photography to create timeless images that capture the essence of your special moments. Book your session today and experience the magic of Miguel Signs Photography. Visit Miguel Signs Photography online at miguelsignsphotography.com to see examples of his work and schedule your appointment today. What we're going to do right here is go back way back, back into time. In any kind of combat environment, the tempo is going to be basically ran by how fast the units are going to be able to move down through the combat environment to head out there and accomplish their mission. But another great thing that is going to be very dependent on how the units are going to be moved is going to be the logistics. How fast can they get supplies? How are they getting their water, their food? How are they getting medical aid and all those things that the units are going to need now that they're going into that combat environment. 
And that is one of the things that the division had to deal with during this time, because if we can remember, we talked about how RCT 5 and 7 were moving so quickly from the border of Kuwait through Iraq, and they were making outstanding progress in just a matter of days. They were getting down there and doing their thing, but they also had to worry about, hey, are our troops getting enough food, enough water, all those things that they needed, and that was an issue. And so let's take a look at the tempo that the logistics was for the division now that they're heading out there into Iraq. Logistics was a critical enabler for the entire operation, and the division turned to accomplishing the task of rearming, refueling, and refitting the division on this day. The focus of the lightning combat loads to the smallest possible had allowed the division to relay exclusively on the organic lift to move itself. The Marines emerged from the first combat operations with a newfound appreciation for their self-efficiency. With no requirements to shuttle trucks, operational tempo had been sustained. Essential classes of supply carried on trucks of the division's CSSG-11 reduced reliance of the FSSG and other supporting commands for immediate resupply. The maneuver units still needed to replenish chow, ammo, water, and most of all, sleep. Many of the Marines had not had a decent rest since before crossing the line of departure some 48 hours before. The Marines had much fighting yet to do, and now was a brief opportunity to catch some rest before resuming the attack. At this point, CSSG-11 and CSSCs demonstrated what organic, integrated logistic support meant. With precision of the foresight, Colonel John Prompert and CSSG-11 staff established RRPs near the tactical assembly areas of RCT-7 and RCT-5 to allow them to quickly obtain the necessary supplies to sustain their attack. As the division's objectives quickly fell, logisticians anticipated the demand for fuel, forward and readiness assets from the RRPs to RRP-7 closer to Anazaria. Now, the entire division made its way through the line pre-stage RRPs to top off fuel tanks prior to crossing the Euphrates. By the detailed calculations of the logisticians, the refueling here would allow the division to continue to attack all the way to the Honshta airstrip, the next division's objective, before another RRP was required. With hardened, fully loaded vehicles consuming fuel at a greater rate than planned, the timely shift in emphasis enabled units to conduct a stride, refit, refuel, and rearm for the attack of Highway 1. CSSG-11 had met its first real battlefield challenge and overcame it handily. And the affirmation of the principle of organic mobile CSSC elements was a confidence builder for the RCTs. One concern remained, however, as repair parts and other support required from the fixed supply points were not making it to the combat field at all. This would be a significant logistics shortfall that would plague the division for the entire campaign. On 22 March, RCT-5 completed a rip in the South Rumalaya oil fields with the 16th Air Assault Brigade, 1st UK Division. 
Following the relief in place, the RCT conducted a road march on Highway 8 to near the Euphrates River at crossing west of Al Nazaria. The rip of artillery was the simplest of all. As the artillerymen had already established both U.S. and U.K. artillery firing positions in support of operational of the Rumalaya area, the U.S. firing battalions were able to quickly disengage with no loss of fire support capability. The 7th Royal Horse Artillery, supplied by its own counter-battery radar and supporting elements, seamlessly picked up the fight when the 11th Marines rolled to the west. So as we can see, logistics was becoming an issue, not only for some of the challenge stuff and everything, because I can remember that there were days where we had to wait just because of the logistics was so far behind us. Not to say that we didn't have enough water or food or stuff, but you know there were times that we know that we were kind of scarce and we were told to, hey, minimize the amount of water, try to minimize that, the amount of chow they were consuming on a daily basis because they're behind. And it wasn't only like they were talking about, they were talking about the supply chain for the parts and stuff and everything that we needed for the vehicles. While that was a big issue because we needed to have parts to be able to repair our vehicles because we were driving on terrain that, you know, wasn't really meant to be driven on. So we were making our own roads as we headed across the desert. And this was not until after that first resupply and refuel point that we headed into and then we were getting ready to do our attack up Highway 1, which was going to be all concreted area. But this allowed us to be sure that, you know, that we were going to have the parts and everything that we needed in order for our vehicles to continue to be operational. As we made that push heading down there into Iraq and heading all the way to Baghdad, and that was going to be a harsh thing. Now, just like they were talking about that, you know, in, in those resupply points and everything else, those were that was a great opportunity for us to be actually be able to get a little bit more sleep than we were even getting. Because like they said, for the first 48 hours, you could forget about sleeping because it was just not enough time for us to be able to just, you know, be able to go to sleep with a, a minor security detail for the units that we had. We had to ensure that we had our own uh, security, you know, our posture was up because we wanted to ensure that we were all going to be safe while we con were conducting our missions. And the Marines that were on post at this time, they understood. They knew that they needed to maintain a watchful eye to ensure that we didn't have an individual just, just kind of walking into our position. And because of that, because of the Marines were being vigilant and paying attention, we were able to capture many, many detainees that we were able to send off to the rear party to ensure that they were detained. And the one thing that, you know, even to this day that, you know, I couldn't really understand was the fact that the way the division was handling the POWs was that we would get them, we would interrogate them, and then we would let them go and tell them to walk in a certain direction to ensure the units that were coming behind us were the ones that are going to be able to detain them. And they were the ones that are going to take them in as POWs and be able to question them even more. So logistics, 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 logistics this is very, very, very important. Even though it's one of the minor things that we hardly ever really think about because, you know, we always have our ammunition. We always have our water. So that's something that we don't think about. And, you know, my hat goes off to those those commanders, those officers, those Marines that were making all of that happen to ensure that we had everything that we needed. While it might have taken a little bit longer to get to us than we originally expected to ensure that we had everything that we needed. But, hey, they busted their ass and they made sure that we were going to be able to have everything that we needed 
in order for us to continue with our mission and be able to go down there to Iraq and defeat the Saddam regime and continue to kick their ass as we made our way, heading all the way into Baghdad. Hero Highlight. Sergeant Robert Allen Owens, United States Marine Corps. Sergeant Robert Allen Owens enlisted in the Marine Corps shortly after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, which plunged the United States into World War II. He trained hard for 21 months, and finally, on the first day he entered combat in Bougainville, he was killed in action. He received the nation's highest military decoration, the Medal of Honor, for heroic services at that time. Robert Allen Owens was born in Greenville, South Carolina on 13 September 1920. The family later moved to Spartanburg, which was young Owens claimed as his hometown. After two years in high school, he went to work as a textile worker in the neighboring town. He worked at that for five years before his enlistment in the Marine Corps on 10 February 1942. Private Owens went through recruit training at Paris Island, South Carolina, and then went to the 1st Training Battalion of the 1st Marine Division, then located in New River, North Carolina. In June, the unit's designation was changed to Company A, 1st Battalion, 3rd Marines, 3rd Marine Division. The division left for foreign shore duty in September of 1942, and the 3rd Marine's first overseas station was Tutulia, American Samoa. Later, they went to New Zealand and Guadalcanal to train for the first combat mission. On 1 November on Bougainville, the landing on the beach at Cape Tarakina was strongly resisted by a well-camouflaged 75mm regimental gun. Strategically placed, the gun had already scored direct hits on several of the landing craft and it was seriously threatening the success of the operation. No boats could approach the beach without passing within 150 yards or less from the muzzle, and the gunners could not miss. The emplacement was so situated that it could only be attacked from the front and also in a position whereby rifle fire and grenades could not reach the gun crew. Sizing up the situation, Sergeant Owens decided that the only way to neutralize the gun was to charge it directly from the front. Calling on four volunteers to cover him, he placed them where they could keep adjacent bunkers under fire. At the moment when he judged, he had a fair chance of reaching his objective. The 6 feet 3, 232 pound Marine charged right into the mouth of a still rapidly firing cannon. Entering the emplacement through the fire port, he chased the Japanese out of the back where they were cut down by his riflemen. Pursuing them, he in turn was instantly killed. It was discovered that a round had been placed in the chamber and the breach was almost closed at the moment that Sergeant Owens came through the fire port. Over 150 rounds of high explosive shells were stacked and ready for firing. The enemy had obviously counted heavily on this weapon to stop the Marine landing. They made several determined but fruitless efforts to recapture the piece. Major 
General Alan H. Turnage, commanding general of the 3rd Marine Division, said, Among many brave acts on that beachhead on Bougainville, no other single act saved the lives of more of his comrades or served to contribute so much to the success of the landings. General Alexander A. Vandergriff, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, and Major General Turnage so strongly recommended the Medal of Honor for Sergeant Owens, who had already received the Navy Cross posthumously, that the case was reviewed and the General's recommendations were adopted. The medal was presented to the hero's father at his home in Drayton, South Carolina on 12 August 1945 by Major General Clinton B. Vogel, then the commanding general of the Marine Barracks, Paris Island, South Carolina. Initially buried in the Army, Navy, and Marine Corps Cemetery on Bougainville, Sergeant Owens' remains were later re-entered into the Fort McKinley U.S. Military Cemetery. The destroyer USS Robert A. Owens was christened at Bath, Maine on 22 July 1946 in the honor of the Marine. The quarter deck. With everything that's going on in the world over there with Hamas and all those areas over there bombing each other and stuff. And now with the situation that's going on with them trying to stop all those ships down there in the Red Sea. And now that has caused the U.S. and U.K. to get involved in helping to protect those areas because they do put the U.S. Navy vessels in jeopardy as well as they're down there. So because of that. Like we learned, it is very, very important for the Marine Corps to be able to enable all these new weapon systems that they're going to be able to utilize. Now, it's just a matter of time before they actually use those same systems and they put them on board ships and they use them for their defense down there when they're on ships as well. That is definitely going to happen because I never thought it would happen with the HIMARS systems, the rocket system that I utilized when I was on active duty. And now I've learned that they've actually been able to fire that weapon system accurately from on board of a ship. So just like always, the Marine Corps is going to continue to develop, advance, and be more modernized with all the technology and everything that is out there. But like I always say, we got to make sure that we don't depend solely on the technology, that there's a backup way to do things, because you never know, these things can happen. And you're going to have to go back to the old school way of actually doing things. And this is something that I've always said that you have to keep in the back of your head because you never know when something like that can happen and you're going to have to revert back to doing things manually and understanding how to do them and actually be very, very proficient in these things. Man, our Marines, our heroes that we had down there during World War II. Today we talked about another one, another outstanding hero in the things that he did. I mean, Sergeant Robert Allen Owens, oh my goodness. He took it upon himself to go ahead and make sure that he found his way out of his freaking boat, charged the weapon system head on to ensure that the Marines and the other units were going to be able to land down there to ensure that they're going to be able to engage the enemy. What a hero. And it's just truly amazing how they continue to actually do those heroic things to make sure that the units are successful. I want to take the opportunity to thank everybody for the continued support on our podcast. Our numbers, again, have increased. They have grown. The more we get, the better it's going to be that we'll be able to actually have more things available on the podcast 
you know, so once we get monetized and we're able to actually have more ads and more supports and everything, that's only going to make it even better. So thank you guys for the continuing support. Thank you for continuing to share the podcast. And always remember to let everybody know that they can reach us on our Facebook page, The Quarter Deck with Gunny Science and go on there, review the posts that are on there, send comments, send suggestions. And if they want to be a guest on the podcast, by all means, reach out so we can go ahead and get them locked in and scheduled to be a guest on the podcast for us to have them on here to be able to talk about the things that they did while they were on active duty in the Marine Corps, or if any of you that are out there that were actually in Iraq during the same time that I was down there in 2003, hey, hit me up. So we can go ahead and get you on here, and we can just talk about everything that we went through while we were down there in Iraq. So again, you know, thank you guys so much. I hope you guys are enjoying this new year. I don't know about you guys, but for now, it is going it's getting started and, you know, progress is still being conducted on our home. Uh, hopefully soon they decide to actually put the insulation foam on the outside so they can get the stucco on there that that way they're good and everything else. And they're done because that's going to be the main thing and more concerned that I wanted to have done to make sure that it's completed. So for now, the electrician is done. The plumbers are finishing up out there. As I looked out in the backyard today, they're finishing up and hopefully this will be done soon. So hope you guys have a great week. Enjoy the time with your family because the years have been flying by very, very quickly. So have a great weekend. And until next week, this is Miguel, the Gunny Signs, sounding Liberty Call. Get off the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I will support you. The United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic.